Welcome back to the Cockleball Podcast, where we look at all things Spurs, and it's time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Sam, aka Ben, helping this podcast run along, usually on something crude. Now, joining me tonight is a man whose closest thing to a shake is when he buys in McDonald's. It's Ash. <laughs> Good evening, mate. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. It's two of us tonight, though. Our very own bald fraud Jules is on holiday. Uh, Jim is too busy reporting on 20 years of failed interventionism. No, I'm not talking about Enoch. Uh, but we'll make the best of it. Anyway, our season has commenced uh, in a way that no one absolutely expected whatsoever. We've beaten the reigning champions 1-0, a packed-out lane. Ash, is it the spursiest thing ever to sell Kane to City and now we're going to win the league? <laughs> The antithesis of Spursy, I think that is. Usually our players leave and start doing things, even if they go to a shitter club. Yeah, no, it was a what a what a day. It was great to see the fans back. Obviously, you, you were there. I was watching it on uh, on Sky. I was trying not to um, I was trying not to think as depressingly as I did last week, especially after that first 15 minutes when it just it all looked like it was going to be one way and really difficult. What was it like? What did the atmosphere like in the stands and those those opening exchanges? I mean, it was absolutely unreal. I mean, I've only ever been in the sort of lower part lane and up to now, borrowing a mate's uh, ticket. So this season I've got my own ticket, but obviously it's sort of up in the west, north, southwest corner, uh, the posh sheets. I promise you. Um, <laughs> so obviously a fantastic view from anywhere in that ground. It's great. But even up there, like it was absolutely mad. People were, you know, shouting and losing the, their shit people were standing up at you know random bits of a game in, in the upper tier and you think oh yeah no, this this place does have an atmosphere it was absolutely rocking i think the flags might have helped mm. i also think it was just that pent-up frustration of you know that kind of that blue balls of not having football for so long that release was quite a lot for a lot of people and it was positive because we like you say we actually started the game really badly i thought <laughs> because uh, we had good vibes in the stands it kind of like no no this is fine also helped by the fact that they didn't score on it for some reason that they couldn't shoot for top it's almost like they need a striker <laughs> <laughs> whisper it quietly yeah i know I, I was absolutely stunned that even within the first five minutes uh that it hadn't scored and i remember it's a uh, 12 minutes in I turned to the bloke next to him and went fucking hell has it only been 12 minutes it was the longest <laughs> they were just absolutely peppering us and I, I don't really know what went wrong for them really What why they couldn't find something that this, this strange curse continues for them yeah I don't think they well they created maybe two really good chances there was the um, the one there right back is it Cancheo and and Mares that was sort of had the free volley from the centre of the box. And I think either of those on another day have probably hit in the target at the very least, if not scoring. So we, we rode our luck a little bit, but it was it was early days. So maybe we can chalk it down to a little bit of rustiness on, on both sides because they, they seem to carve us up fairly easily. Uh, I, I think a lot of it, to be fair, was down to the, the two young lads, Tanganga and, and particularly Skip, just sort of feeding their way into the game. And obviously they both went on to have fantastic performance. I mean, I mean, Skips was a bit like meeting the in-laws for the first time, wasn't it? It was just sort of a bit a bit nervous at the start. But once he got going, make sure he didn't do anything silly and it went absolutely fine. And I mean, I think that was that was really great to see, especially with obviously we've not having a good time at the moment with Academy graduates. So it's nice <laughs> to see one of our own actually put in a proper shift or two of our own put in fantastic shifts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who needs uh, the other ones anyway? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was it was great to see. I think um, we we grew into the game, and after I don't know from the 20th minute onwards, it felt like a game that we generally could win. And that's not something we've said often when we've watched ourselves play City, even when we beat them before counting us times now at the lane. They can't seem to beat us, but it, it we just never. I never felt like we completely lost control after that 20 minutes, which was great to see. And a lot of it was, uh, I think, it was a mixture of brilliant individual performances like I've, like I've just mentioned but also smart and brave tactics from from Nuno and I think the way we stopped them it's Pep's sort of famous at the moment for having these fullbacks play like centre mids so we had our wingers stay really high and really narrow which had the effect of limiting the space for the fullbacks to run into in field and also making sure we had a compact front three so whenever the ball went forward towards them there were players close together and the nine of them were isolated so it made it easier to to counter attack is what did you feel of our of our attacking tom because it, it felt like watching it from the tv that every opportunity every time we got the ball it looked like we were going to be dangerous yeah i'd absolutely agree with that um I was a little bit hesitant. I don't really like the 4-3-3 as a system, not the way Nuno does it, because I think it's it's quite narrow. And I feel like City missed an opportunity because when we played Arsenal in the Mind series, it was quite clear that that, that formation was going to play. It was almost exactly the same lineup. So it meant for most of that game, Mahrez, who likes to sit on that right-hand touchline, had all the space in the world. And like you said, I like to use Cancelo quite well documented now he likes to drift in field and because they were so preoccupied with that route but also had a mind on well our wingers aren't actually tracking back here I think it, it kind of put them off a bit that they were always a little hesitant of well as soon as we lose the ball it we're actually going to be in a bit of trouble and we just stood our ground we didn't drop with them the wingers didn't drop to to stay with uh, Sterling and Mares to give the fullbacks protection and I was concerned about that because I thought if they start doubling up on our fullbacks our midfield three is going to be too stretched. All of a sudden, you're going to have midfielders like Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne to come on in the second half, who's going to start filling in the spaces when you sort of stretch a midfield three, which would ordinarily have been a four. I was a little bit concerned, but it worked. Like, it absolutely worked. You've got three midfielders who are combative, box-to-box, fit, aggressive is the main thing. And that's probably you know the adjective you'd use to sum up every player in that game, is that mm. every player was up for it including the front three like you say so whenever we did break forward there was there was always that feeling of well yeah that was actually genuine jumps that was flipping it over the top to sun and like you second best player could get to the best player or vice versa <laughs> a bit different now um there were lots of outlets so i think it, it was actually exciting and because everyone on the pitch was up for it from our point of view anyway it transcended into to, to the mood around the ground and then it, that transcended to the players and it just kind of spiralled and although we weren't you know we didn't blow City away you kind of did feel that that goal was coming mm. and you did feel that even with just a, a goal advantage that we had a chance of holding on to that lead so you know fair play to Nuno shows what I fucking know because like, he won the game so <laughs> yeah yeah but see the the way we attacked is going to be the obvious difference from the Jose time we had we attacked with numbers and we had we had runs from out wides making um sort of diagonal cut, cut, um, runs inwards we had 
actual movement within the front three so they didn't just run in straight lines like on FIFA it was amazing to see them actually interchange and swap positions every now and then but the thing that stood out to me more was was the defense defensive side of things so we've got the same players as we had last year the only difference in there was was skip but they were just so much more efficient and effective we've we've mentioned before about how a low block it's sort of a false way to be defensive or a false way to to shore up the back line because what it actually does is put a, a lot of pressure on individual players to be phenomenal for every second of every minute of every match whereas what we saw here was um essentially a, a bank of three in front of a bank of four when we didn't have a when we didn't have the ball and that that midfield three like you mentioned they were very very energetic and they they got around all over the place whilst also having the the intelligence to stay stay in their position so there was never massive holds for uh, for Man City to pass through if they were going to get past us then it was, it was going to need a a magic bit of dribbling or a phenomenal pass and that's we were too easily cut open last year just because we allowed far too much space in front of the defence because we were just sat so deep I was, I was really surprised at the sort of the amount of running that was going on again I think the atmosphere had something to do that. It does give you that. It's you know, like when you, you paint a car racing green and gives it that extra five brake horsepower. Just you haven't done anything to it. <laughs> so, Deli Ali, I've always questioned, even before the game, I sort of was questioning, well, what's he going to do in this position? Is, is this the best position for him? And then all of a sudden, in the 90 minute game of football, he's run 11 kilometres and no one else in the team has run above 10. And you think, well, Where's he got that fit? Well, he's got that fitness from going to Dubai with Carl Walker Peters over the summer. And all of a sudden, you think, well, if we got fit, combative, aggressive central midfielders like that, I know Ali's a bit different to to Skip and Hoybier, simpler players, but Ali was playing more simply. He wasn't doing as much of the flair stuff he does. He wasn't looking for that that killer flick or that nutmeg to get him out of trouble. Sometimes the simple ball was there. He, he would just play it uh, and let other people do all the, the fancy half work and leaving that to the front three. And even when the front three were bursting forward, like you say, there were intelligent runs from one of those three midfielders to kind of support the attack. So it's, it's strange because everything worked. And yeah, yeah I think Dele Alli was was fantastic. To be fair, obviously he's not the player that we saw back. At, was it sixteen seventeen when he got something like twenty odd goals? But we're never going to have that player again because he's come from playing with Christian Eriksen, Moussa Nambele and Wanyama to play with Sissoko and Winks and no one able to progress the ball forward. So obviously he's not going to be able to be that guy who all he does is focus on getting in at the back post or getting in the box. He's evolving into a far more versatile player, I think. So obviously we've seen him playing in this deeper role, which has allowed him to, to put in all that energy that we need to see in midfield, but also join the attack and make those late runs not necessarily into the box but towards the edge of the box so we can easily recycle the ball if a, if a cross gets cleared or if a tackle comes in or, or something like that so it was fantastic to see a performance like that and hopefully that would be a big boost of his confidence another player i was i was really excited by and really happy to see was bergwein i was just really annoyed that he didn't get that goal not because well partly because two nil is a different game really isn't it but how much more confidence would that have given him if he was able to bury that? Yeah, he was definitely the player, from seeing it in the ground, he was definitely the player I was most frustrated with. Mm. I always felt like he was the one who was needlessly giving the ball away. And perhaps, yeah, you're right, his confidence, he looked the least confident out of 
the 11, which is a shame because he's got all the raw attributes to be absolutely insane. He can dribble. He's got electric pace. He can absolutely leather it if he needs to. We know that. Uh, City know that, certainly. So there's a good player there. And it's just, you know, do we just keep playing him into confidence? Something Jules has gone on about on this podcast for, for months and months as we've sort of talked about what, what to do with Steven Bergvine. Maybe we just keep playing him. Uh, partly because there was, there's no one else really. It's a bit too soon to know with uh, Brian Hill whether he's going to be that player for us on the first team yet. Um, but he, Bergman was the first one to be subbed off. And, uh, that, that was a welcome sign for me because that was probably the one blemish on what was a, essentially a, a perfect day in the office for us that he was, he was quite needlessly wasteful. It was, it was a shame to see. But players that we were expecting wastefulness from actually performed very well in Sanchez and Dyer. And <laughs> I mean we usually compare sort of top class centre backs to Rolls Royce, don't we? When I thought Dyer performed a bit more like a Ford Mondeo. You know, there was there was nothing fancy, but it, it got us from A to B and hopefully over the coming season there'll be less and less appearances. But the important thing was he got us through the game. I don't know what, what you made of, of of him and Sanchez. Obviously we've got Romero in we're supposedly looking for another centre back, but if if we're looking to partner one with Romero, who would you go for? Oh, Joe Roden. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. I, I, you know, Romero obviously he did come on. He made his debut. I think the first thing he did was win a, an aerial duel in the middle of the park. I mean, that's going to do you wonders. That is the absolute confidence boost that you needed. So it's hard to see whether Romero is the sort of player whether he want calm and collected Dyer next to him. Or, you know, Sanchez, who's got a bit more pace. But, I mean, they're both... Neither of them, for me, really put a foot wrong in that game, which is, I can't believe I'm saying it, but they deserve the credit. They deserve the credit when it's due. And Sanchez was sort of showing his pace and showing timing in his tackles. And you know how much pace is in that City team. Yeah. It's terrifying. And Dyer obviously, wins everything in the air, is always happy to, to have a battle with you. And he was battling, you know, from minute zero to 90. And they both deserve credit for that. It's almost like the competition that, that Romero has now given them. Seems given them the kick up the arse. And a lot is said about Josie yeah. and deals with players and whether or not they're, they're confident enough when, when you've got Jose breathing down your neck. And I don't think that really affected Sanchez that well. But obviously he's come back. Did he make it to the semifinals of the Copa America? Yeah. And he seems to just come back a different player. He's confident. He's got a new manager. He can pass the ball. He's been yeah. doing some Toby pings. I've never thought I'd see it. Yeah, he's daring to Dawson. Really. <laughs> but we always knew his raw attributes were there. We knew he was at electric pace. He's a tall geezer, but he just had too many fatal errors in his game. I do fear we're seeing a bit of the Adebayor about him where now that the transfer window's open, he's putting his top performances in. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but then you can always rely on Romero and... Like we forget about Joe Rodon. He was solid in the Euros, like we've said on air. Yeah. Four good centre-backs with the amount of games that we're going to play this season, absolutely fine. But, you know, like you said, there's still talk of bringing in one more player. Probably could be this, this Tommy Yasu, this Japanese. If you then only need four centre-backs for the season, which I think is right, bearing in mind Tanganga can fit in when needed, who do you sell? Like, we... we one of the five, hypothetically, would have to go. And do you lose Dyer or Sanchez, or do you let 
Joe Roden go? What's the solution? Thinking at it from a club point of view, Sanchez is the most sellable asset. We're probably likely to make the most amount of money out of Sanchez out of those players available to us. The ideal scenario for me is to loan Roden out for a year to a Premier League club, let him get a full season at top flight football because he only came to us on the back of what was it, a couple of years in the championship. So I think that would do him a world of good and allow us to sort of reassess our, our position and, and our options there. But taking it back to City, I, I think it helped our defence that um, Ferran Torres decided to pull a Harry Kane and not bother showing up. I mean, I think that sums up most of City, to be fair. Though. I didn't see... Who, there's no one there who, who seems to be playing to their to the best of their ability. I, I don't want to take anything away from the performance from Tottenham, but were you impressed by City at all? Um, no, but fuck him. <laughs> I was impressed by when De Bruyne come on for the last what was it, fifteen twenty? It was yeah. a noticeable difference, and I don't know why. I watched obviously when <laughs> I watched the highlights, otherwise I don't. And, <laughs> Watching the you know the sky ones and the match of the day ones and he had a shot on target. Yeah. One of the first things he did was pick up the ball in the pocket, turn and, and force the save from the reach. And no one showed it. It was bizarre. Because not only was it a fairly good save, but it just showed you the difference that he was making. And there was that last fifteen minutes you were kind of thinking, Oh well, actually, yeah, maybe don't give the ball. He's quite good at that. But yeah, thankfully it, it didn't do anything in the end. But uh, yeah, that's where that aggression comes in and mm. that's where we're sort of nullifying those threats where despite all their quality if you've got the guts you can do it yeah and I, f- I think it was really satisfying to not only beat the team that are trying to bully us into selling one of our well selling one of the best players let alone one of our best players at a cut fee but also beating the team who had fielded the most expensive uh, 11 and i think it's probably the most expensive bench as well in premier league history so to just to have them come our way with all this backdrop, do you think that added to to the atmosphere at all? Because it, it seemed to add to the performance. Everyone hates them. It's <laughs> very popular to, to to hate the prime minister, for instance. Uh, get behind that team seemingly at the moment, and you know everyone can get behind hating City because they stand for everything in the game that that no one wants to see. Basically, low levels of financial doping, and you know. You could argue it's borderline corruption of the game to to, to play it in that way, so to, to win players in that way, and that's not what we want to see. I mean, Greenish was, you know, I think that some people were saying on Twitter that it was unfair for Spurs fans to boo him. I think it's been a bit taken a little bit out of context because I think he he basically started on Lucas, and I think that is actually why we started booing him. But you look at how instantly they can buy quality like that. Hundred million pound release clause was set up by Villa as a deterrent and they just went and spent that money like that all right yeah we'll cough up and it's everyone now wants to see that team get beat so they're going to have an uphill struggle all season not that it stopped them last year but now they've got (laughs) on their pack everywhere to go and if they are at home the fans are going to get rattled if they were suddenly not not up for it so i mean fuck them but yeah yeah no i think the greatest thing sums up city perfectly like he's spent a whole game maybe I'm being a bit harsh, but there's quite a few incidences where he went down very easiest, to put it kindly. Sometimes he seems to go down without a touch at all. And then at the end, to get up and have a go at Lucas, who he fouled, it just sort of sums up the whole arrogance around City as a as a fucking whole. Like, there's like, how dare you not sell us your player? 
or or when they see another transfer a player go for like a, a big money like when Chelsea bought Lukaku and you just see the reaction from from them like but, but how dare you spend this amount of money it's like shut up man it's just so it's so satisfying it's that arrogant kid at school who seems to get everything finally get their comeuppance suddenly oh he's got a brand new he's got that iPhone I've been talking about and you're <laughs> snake on your knuckle oh dickhead he's got a colour screen speaking of snakes <laughs> yeah speaking of snakes where was Harry Kane was he, uh, do you reckon he was watching it because you know when a lot of players are injured they're like yeah come on mm. the boys you know they've got their cast up on the sofa while they're cheering them on yeah, he's not just... bad out of his social media since that half hearted statement no no he's probably watching it in, the, uh, in a sky blue shirt <laughs> he just I don't know which side he was cheering on it was just, yeah, it was odd. Like, we had all the other players that weren't picked, like Ndombele and Roden and all that. They were still sat with the bench. Mm-hmm. And for Harry Kane to not even tweet after it at all, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a bit bored of the whole saga, to be honest. He's clearly a bit of a prick. <laughs> whether he's whether he's going to go down as a Tottenham legend or not isn't really the point. He's just acting like a total bellend. So, that, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. He was probably sitting there with his brother fucking playing Lego for all like a... <laughs> don't eat that Charlie <laughs> probably but it was strange and you make a good point about those guys being on the bench and still watching the game despite not being involved it's mm. um, I know it's not great as a player you never want to be in that position but obviously fair play to them for coming down and showing their support regardless but there were two figures behind them on the bench who you may have seen losing that absolute shit like you know, when you bring your dad to the football and he goes to one game a year and he gets a bit cheery <laughs> shouting at everyone and you're like, why, well, Dad? Just because you haven't been here since like the shelf days, all right? <laughs> but Parity, sorry, I'm doing it wrong, Ash. You got to teach me Paratici and Hitchin. Thank you. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, just going absolutely bunkers, like, like they were managing the game. Paratici just shouting it whenever the ball was over in that side of the pitch just giving City players pelters and people give them Hitchin and Paratici a, a kind of a bit of a bad name for standing on the touchline, constantly being on the phone. Is that just a show to kind of show other people that they're actually doing stuff? But actually, I thought it was quite refreshing. It's just <laughs> that much passion. Yeah, I mean, I think Paratici has got, he sort of suffers from the, uh, the, the thing that all, all us Italians suffer from, which is just a ridiculous amount of passion about sort of just everything. It reminds me of when I was in school and I got made to do extra laps in cross country because I had that Italian fire, which was most fucking, I don't know if that would be much for taking that as racist from my PE teacher, but there you go. The thing I found funny was, was Hitchin. Like we'd never seen the side of him before at all. Was that, what was he? I couldn't help but think who's he showing off to? Why is he, why is he suddenly fulfilled a need to, to get involved in this sort of stuff? And we didn't even see him in the ground before. But he's just trying to justify his own existence now because... <laughs> Overnight of just going on the Amazon documentary talking about transfers, which is his one job, and going, I hate it. <laughs> Fucking like sun dried boiled egg that he is. And now Paratici's come along with so much energy and exuberance and hair, and he's looking at him thinking, <laughs> Wow, who is this bloke just turned up and already he's my boss? And he's got a right. It was kind of feel like when, when Pratish is on the phone, that Hitchens then also on the phone, but you know, I don't know who he's on the phone to, just kind of justify it. Like, yeah, I'm, um, bitch, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've still got a job. <laughs> it's like you see him and he's, he's just got to try and justify 
why he is still around. But hey, if they're getting the players in and the window's still not shut yet, then who am I to slag him off? Yeah, and I'd love to see it. You want to see a bit of passion from from the board and from you know leadership. We haven't we haven't seen it often enough. Maybe it's like a statue, isn't he? He just he just sits yeah. there. He scores a goal and he just sort of readjusts his glasses like, hmm, yes. I'm not so- <laughs> <laughs> it's just the evil laugh. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a Simpsons character, isn't he? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so stone cold. And you were looking at documentaries like, uh, I watched the Leeds one on whatever it was, Amazon, I think. Look at the, okay, all right, they're Italian as well, Ash. I get it. They're a bit, you know, you're built different. Those guys are absolute mad for it, even the, the chief executive. And you, you never see that from us. You, you just see them watching there silently. And it was actually good to see the guys on the bench, not even up in the stands, up in you know middle of the tears, doing the whole corporate stuff, standing there in the suit, shaking hands with the other chairman. Yes, have a good game. Here's a pie and a neck oil. You can't go <laughs> on the walk unless you pay for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, thought, I thought it was refreshing. I didn't think it was too cring, too cringy, but they got caught up in the moment. So, so did I, and I lost my voice because of it. It's a few octaves lower than usual. Should we, uh, should we move on to Thursday then? We've got a well, the first one of our, the first ever fixture in the new UCL, the all important UCL, the only one that matters anyway. And I'm gonna. Sorry if I butchered this. Portuguese is one of the most difficult languages to try and learn. But we're playing against Pache de Freire. That's my effort. I I would have gone Pacos de Freire, mate. I... <laughs> yeah. I knew you would have done. Yeah, I, I believe it's pronounced Pache de Freire. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's, a, it's based in a town of, of the same name in you know, a fairly short drive east of Porto. It's really difficult to find any information about this. And you know, uh, Jim usually comes up with some funny anecdotes or something little. So forgive me if it's boring. It's going to be a little bit more serious, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, they, they finished fifth in the league last year with, with 53 points. Interesting of a, a goal difference of minus one, which isn't something you expect to see for a team that finished fifth. But there you go. They, they scored 40 and conceded 41. They were much better at home. They only... Uh, managed to get 20 points in the 17 games away from home and they they play in a stadium called Estadio de Matarreal also known as Estadio Estadio Capital de Marvel it holds 9,077 people so for comparison Tom your beloved Stevenage their Lamech Stadium do you know how much that holds? Uh, It's like 9,000 yeah, seven thousand eight hundred. So not a massive difference there. That's the sort of uh, sort of ground we're going to. They've only had one player score more than five goals, and that was their striker Douglas Tank. So <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a player we should be worried about. <laughs> a character that is like from one of Steve Bruce's crime novels, where he's just flipping. He's gone. Yeah, Douglas. Yeah, Tank. He's like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't look into his sort of height and weight and that shit, so we'll just have to wait and see. They've just lost comfortably to um, Valvisht, 3-0, again, away from home. So that seems to be a, a problem of theirs. And they haven't really bought anyone this year either. There's a couple of loan deals, but nothing dramatic. So I tried to look into the town because the football team is fucking boring. Other than they have previously been managed by Tottenham legend Paolo Fonseca. So... <laughs> 
Yeah, so I was I was looking at the town and trying to find out. Well, if, if the football club is boring, what, what else is there to do in uh, in Pashakhlea? And uh, I was going through it, and basically it was look at old buildings, look at buildings that had been broken down, go watch some football, and then go off to Porto where all the good stuff is. <laughs> I'm sure it's a beautiful place, and those old buildings are beautiful, but uh, that was that was the recommended attractions to go and visit, and. I mentioned earlier that the stadium is also known as uh, Estadio Capital de Marvel, but actually translate to uh, City of Furniture, which is what which is what the city is known as. So, um, yeah, okay. it'll be a comfortable visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll certainly sit down. You never know. I've just Googled Douglas Tank. It's spelled um, T-A-Q-U-E, which you could have told me because I was looking at Douglas Tank sells who sells industrial equipment in California. <laughs> the real Douglas Tank is six foot two and ninety two kilos, so he is actually a fairly big Canadian <laughs> footballer. Born Douglas William de Silva Souza. Doesn't have tank in his name at all. <laughs> He's a fraud. He is a fraud. But yeah, he scored twenty one league goals for Paco de Ferreira uh, <laughs> so far. So. Hopefully we'll put an end to that. We should see a rotated uh, side for this game. We, obviously, a lot, we didn't really use the substitutions that much because it was one of those cases of it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, which means we've actually got a fair amount of players to rotate into the squad against the team, admittedly, I've never heard of. I mean, that, I, look, I look at people like Cessignon, who I really want to see push on this year under Nuno. I think he suits you know, styles. But... You know, he played for the under-23s at Stevenage on last night, Monday night, last was it? Night, Monday night, yeah. Um, so I don't know if this fixture might come slightly too soon for him and his fitness, but we should yeah. see a lot of those periphery players coming through. Yes, yeah, he didn't play the whole game. I don't know how long it was. It might have just been the 45 minutes, so we might be able to get another half an hour out of him. Obviously, we've got the new signings to come in. It was great to see Romero get a couple minutes in and, I suppose looks solid against not much. So uh, it was good to see him get another 60 minutes in as he as he builds up towards not only fitness, but, uh, you know, understanding Nuno's tactics and and coming in, fitting in with the culture and, and the lads. I don't think there'll be too many youth involved just because uh, out of the qualifiers for this competition, this team is probably one of the, one of the bigger ones. I mean, the, the Portuguese league gets sort of shat on quite a lot by... Um, by non-Portuguese people, but you know, there's no mug. They're not all mugs in that league, so we got to take it somewhat seriously. So you'll probably be more likely to see the likes of Winks and Sissoko than Divine and and Noel John, for example. But it'll be really interesting to see. I want to see Galini get get a good game in there, and hopefully yeah. we can see Joe Roy don't actually play European football because he's actually been selected this time, which is great. Yeah, that that would be nice. So it'd be interesting to see who he does go for at the back. I think you're right. I think Romero will definitely start. Who is his natural partner? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that you, maybe you'll just have a good understanding with, with Sanchez. You never know. Maybe they'll compliment each other well. So I'd like to see if that grows, whether we'll stick with that. The biggest question of all, really, is that what is that mysterious Harry Kane fella doing? <laughs> Will he even turn up this time? Who knows? He's, he's been selected, unlike uh, Tangi and Dombele. I am disappointed that we don't get to see Tangi and Dombele. What, what could possibly have gone wrong there? Well, I mean, I think it's got to that point now where we're not shocked anymore. You know, is he? He's not turned up again this season, and right? Yeah, that's you know the third time in a row, and mm. 
just hasn't got on with the, with the four managers who have all had to to handle him. And I don't know what more you want to give the geezer. You're giving him loads of time to to, to come on and and push on. And weirdly, he pushed on the most when we were at our most dire. Um, but you look at some of the goals he scored. I remember his debut goal against Villa. Only scored against Sheffield United, where he just dinked it to the far post. I don't care if he meant it. It's still one of the best goals I think I've, I saw last season. I just run out of patience with him, really, in the same way that weirdly I ran out of patience with Sanchez last season, although he's slowly proving us wrong again. Uh, I'm always happy to be proven wrong when I'm when I'm trying to play. It's not playing to his fullest. Yeah, I just want to. I just want him to settle down now and get on with it because he's a game changer when he plays. And um, you can imagine that sort of structure and that uh, solidity and energy that we saw against City with that guile and that ability to beat the press from midfield and then Dombele. That would be a serious, serious threat. And it could make all the difference between us finishing sixth and fifth, because that's probably where we're going, isn't it? We're so fixated with this idea of silverware, which you kind of get, because after all, the game is about glory. But if you've got players like that who can... Or essentially be rotated in and out of the team, get you through all of these early stages of this massive conference league competition. It still counts. Like I'd absolutely take it. And even the early stages of the uh, the EFL Cup or whatever it's called this year, um, <laughs> he can come in and do that. But not with seemingly the attitude that he's got at the moment. I mean, it's I can't. I can't say that because I don't know him. But also I can say that because I don't know what else it could be. Like, why have you not got the professionalism to achieve your full potential to justify the amount of money we paid for you? Moving on, we've got Wolves at the weekend coming off a 1-0 loss against Leicester. Did you watch that game? Because I haven't got a clue about what to expect from Wolves. I did think this when I was prepping for this. Um, <laughs> the issue with non-COVID uh, football world is that I can't watch every single game back. <laughs> do before even this Wolves game isn't on telly you see it's the one that isn't televised on Sunday I don't actually know how I'm going to watch it without going there but I'm not I'm not going to walk just <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah I mean I don't know how we're going to have to review the game afterwards so, did you see much of the day last night yeah it was quite good wasn't it what do you think of Gary Lineker's hair yeah it was quite nice episode of the podcast admittedly but um, what can we do it's not on Sky anymore but I'm sure you'll find a way won't you Ash uh, so, yeah, like you say, I haven't seen their game. I just saw the highlights. Leicester seems to still be pretty good. Wolves still seem to be fairly rusty uh, as they kind of adapt to life post-Nuno and the name and the new guy I've completely forgotten about. Uh, yeah. Oh, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what they put out. I mean, they've not really done anything in the transfer window other than bringing the uh, Trincao from Barcelona. So he's sort of a, a tricky winger who can cause a few problems, but we managed to see off Mares, Grealish, Sterling, Torres. So I'm not worried at all, to be honest. It should be a game. If if before the City game, if we started on Wolves, I'd have probably gone for a draw. But having seen that performance from Spurs, I'm probably a bit more confident. I think that we could do them two nil. Yeah, it's going to be a. a... This is the big test for me. You, you can ride, you can ride out storms uh, when you're playing the best teams, and uh, people criticise me, you know, and I think sometimes I'm fairly that he's just a counter-attacking manager. And if you look at the City game, you can go, wait, wait, I told you so. All he did was counter-attack. I said, like, well, that's all you're going to do against City because that's <laughs> how you beat them. 
and we did. You can't play that way when you go to Wolves if you want to be as ambitious as this club claims to be. So this, for me, is the biggest test. Will he be more aggressive? Will we see some more creative outlets? Do you want to see a midfield free of the uh, Ali and Oibier and Skip breaking up play and playing, you know, fairly simple balls? Or do you actually want, you know, your Lachelsea's, your Ndombele's giving you that something special to, to to break up the pitch, to beat a team that you should be dominating in possession and ultimately on goals as well? And if we can't do that against Wolves, that's when we kind of got to think, well, you know, this was the expectations then for this season because. You, at the moment, everyone thinks we're going to win the league, but <laughs> Wolves game will be the biggest test. I agree, but I think it should still be a two-one win. But I think because of the Nuno factor, because he's going back to his old gaff, I think it will be yeah one-all for a considerable amount of time. Anyway, we shall see what happens uh, come Thursday. Back to the old Thursday Sunday routine, my favourite. Give us a follow on Twitter at cockleball underscore pod if you fancy it. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, and we're also on Instagram. Is that correct, Ashley? Absolutely. Just search cockleball underscore pod, and you'll come across us. Make sure you include the pod if you just search cockleball. It's odd, uh, and got some explaining to do to your internet service provider. But in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed listening, and see you next time.